0: Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world. And by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members. And this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow.
1: Hello, hello, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Pre-Med Office Hours. This is live questions and answers with part of the Medical School Headquarters advising team. Um, So for the next hour, um, any questions you have about the pre-med process, about medical school applications, about your journey, uh, we're here to answer them. Uh, I'm going to introduce ourselves for those of you who don't know us. I have with me Dr. Scott Wright. Put the big picture up for Scott there. Look at that. Uh, Former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, former executive director of TMDSAS, the uh, Medical and Dental Texas Application System, not even on your banner, but also former uh, associate dean at UT Dallas. Am I remembering correctly?
2: Yes, Uh, correct. You're
1: a man of many academic backgrounds. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well you know it is what it is
1: <laughs> yeah every time i say to it someone is. like oh dr wright's full for the year because he's getting a second phd they go why because <laughs> like, he's the good kind of crazy
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right and then if you don't know me i am rachel grubbs um whoops there we go um I'm one of the MAP and medical school co-founders. I've been in the MCAT and pre-med advising process for 20 years. Some of you may know I've also done pre-college, pre-law, pre-business. Pre-med, pre-health is always my favorite. Um, You know, it's nothing against those other areas, but this is just where it's, it's, uh, pre-health professionals are near and dear to my heart for many reasons. So this is always one of the most fun parts of my week. And here is where the spotlight gets onto to you guys. Uh, now is your time to ask questions. So um, there's a banner at the bottom that says go to premed.tv that's the medical school headquarters YouTube. Um, actually, it also works if you're on um, a public Facebook group. Um, you are you could be watching this from many different places. As long as you're watching from a public channel, not a private channel, you can type right in the comments right under this video, and we'll see your questions. We don't always get to everyone, but we try to get to as many as we can. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Let's get started. RK says, yellow, y'all. <laughs> Hello, RK. Uh, is there a simple rubric for personal statements? Not a rule book, but things that should be a part of it that most schools want to see. Yeah, this is a great question and very timely. Uh, Doctor Wright, what do you think? How do you want to tackle this one?
2: Well, I, I think it's it, it is uh, pretty simple, RK, and and that is that you want to uh, clearly. Uh, and as concisely as possible, you have a short amount of, of space uh, indi- indicate your journey. You know, tell your story about what uh, what this is about to you and why you want to go to medical school. Where does it begin for you, which we call the seed? Uh, where does this begin for you? Uh, you know, what, what was it something that you realized? early on when you were a a kid or was it in high school or even in college or later if you're non-traditional? Where did it begin for you? And then what are some things that have happened in your life, clinical encounters or uh, encounters with uh, physicians or whatever, that have uh, watered that seed, that have uh, started uh, to to solidify your interest in in going into into medicine and so what i would say is just be very uh authentic uh be very honest and uh and then you'll you'll do well that's what they want to see
1: yeah 100% agree uh we also added premedworkshop.com down at the ticker um, because this is a common question and we periodically do free workshops that help with it so Feel free to go to premedworkshop.com. You can sign up for future events. You can also change the date so you can look at past events. You can often still sign up for a workshop that's already happened, and we'll just email you the recording when you sign up. So check that out. Um, Lots of ways to get personal statement help. Um, We also do one-on-one advising for essay review. Um, But I, I agree with Scott. The number one thing to do is stay on prompt. The question is, why medicine? And I've read many, many really lovely essays that did not answer that question. So it is about being a good, cre- clear, concise writer, but you've got to answer the question they're asking. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's keep trucking. Silicon Sulfur is not having a committee letter if my school offers one bad. I chose not to get one because I preferred to leave my evaluation of my application up to adcoms. Um, Got the sense they did not weigh. I don't know if we have part two there. Uh, Athletic responsibilities enough. We're not happy with the relatively lower hours in certain app areas as a rethink. Also didn't consider MCAT. Okay, so there's two things here, Silicon or sulfur. I don't know what you like to be called. Um, (laughs) I don't think that not having a committee letter is a red flag. Um, Scott's nodding, he agrees. Um, There are lots of reasons not to do it. There are a few schools out there that have really unrealistic expectations about committee letters, right? I've seen schools that say no committee letter unless you have a 3.7 GPA, no committee letter if you don't have a 519 MCAT, like that, those are unfair standards. Um, also, sometimes it's just, I might know people outside of my school who I think know me better and will do more justice to me and I, I wanna get those individual letters. I wanna control my letters. Lots of good reasons. What you're saying, however, makes me a little bit nervous because you're talking about athletic responsibilities, and it sounds like you're saying maybe didn't have as much clinical or as much shadowing as a result. You didn't say that specifically, you just said lower errors in certain certain app areas, lower hours. Um, Whether you're an athlete, whether you're a non-traditional who has children, whether you have aging parents or grandparents, (laughs) whatever your thing is, that does not give you an excuse to not meet the requirements. And I don't mean that against you as like, you're trying to look for a way out. Med schools have an obligation to treat each student the same. And Scott, you've been a director of admissions. So, you know, chime in here. I think you agree with me, but expand on that a little, if you don't mind.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with you uh, completely, Rachel, that the committee letter is, if you don't have a committee letter, it's not going to be a red flag. So don't worry about that. Uh, I uh, also agree with the concern uh, of Rachel uh, uh, about how you're viewing the process and how you're viewing your responsibilities as an athlete versus the expectations of what the medical schools want to see in your application. <clears throat> you also indicate there that your committee didn't consider the MCAT in their recommendation, which would have been an a a which would have been a plus for you. So if, if your expectation is that a higher MCAT score is going to somehow balance out against <clears throat> uh, less clinical hours or something like that, it doesn't work that way. So there's a lot here that and, and maybe we're misreading your intentions or you know what you were trying to say. So, uh, you know, you can chime in uh, in the chat if you want to clarify something, but uh, I do think you need to, you know, think about those things as you're approaching the application cycle. But uh, to your main question, no, if you don't have a committee letter, that's not a big deal.
1: All right. Jawad, he's here a lot, hello Jawad. Is it possible to do four month MCAT prep, you said MACT prep, I assume you mean MCAT prep, and a once a week clinical job? Sure, I mean, I can't speak to your bandwidth and your rate of learning. Um, Once a week clinical job sounds very reasonable with MCAT prep. Um, There is no set rule of how long you need. Most MCAT preppers self-report prepping in the neighborhood of 300 to 400 hours. Um, I take that number with a grain of salt because I do think sometimes among pre-meds, there's a little bit of a competition around time logged. Um, I do think it takes often that long, but uh, sometimes, I mean, I have seen people prep for six weeks and get their goal score. I have literally seen people prep for two years to get their goal score, Um One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they allow two months when they really need three or four. Um, But a lot of it is going to depend on what your starting score is, what your goal is, what your rate of learning is, how strong you are Mm -hmm. at critical reading. Most pre-meds are very good at attacking a certain body of knowledge, reviewing it, understanding it, memorizing it. But that is only going to get you about halfway there in your MCAT prep. And what's very hard to predict is how long it's going to take you to master critically reading the MCAT passages and doing the problem solving, the critical analysis, and the scientific inquiry. That's going to be about 60% of your score. Your plan sounds very reasonable to me. I'm not worried. I just want to be sure you understand that like there's no magic formula. It's just how fast do you personally learn? And I don't know. I don't know how fast you learn. Um, but, yeah, seems like a good plan mm-hmm. Brittany Johnson i'm a paid caregiver to my mother. Will that count towards clinical experience? What do you think, Dr. Wright?
2: Um, <clears throat> we get this question um not i mean it, it, it's we get this a uh, question uh fairly regularly and mm-hmm. uh, something akin to this. And uh, and so what I would say is yes, it can count as clinical experience, but it does not eliminate the need to be in a healthcare environment mm-hmm. and having clinical experiences in a healthcare environment outside of your home, uh, caring for your you know a, a loved one. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't want you to go away thinking okay I do this for my mother and so I've got my clinical hours covered. Uh, I don't think that that in, in uh, to excluding other contact and shadowing or, or other clinical hours uh, would would be uh, sufficient and so yep. so the answer is yes I think it can count as clinical experience but you need to get some in a hospital or you know a, a clinic or, or something like that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean even if it's other home care just someone who's a stranger
2: right <laughs> Cause she, your mom's going to treat you different than. A stranger would. Yeah. But yeah.
1: So 100 percent agree. Yes, it counts. And go get more. Go get different. All right. Kaylee, I did 40 hours of volunteering the summer between high school and college that I didn't continue throughout college. Can I include this on my application? Uh, The short answer is yes. The longer answer is always double check the fine print when you're going to the application to make sure that that's what it says. But typically what the way they word it is anything after high school graduation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Easy peasy. Yeah.
1: Way to get started, Kaylee. Right. Right. Uh, just finished interviewing at a postback program, and I thought it was going well until the last question they asked, quote, sell yourself to us. I think I just started rambling. What should a person say? Yeah, (laughs) man, that's a tough one. Um, So uh, one of the kind of uh, language buzzwords I use for this sort of question is called elevator speech or elevator pitch, right? So what if I was a dean of a med school and I don't know, we were just like at a hotel at a conference or something And you step on with me on the 17th floor and we've gotten to the lobby and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I have 17 floors with Rachel. What am I going to say to this person? You should have something about yourself more or less ready. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I can't tell you what those things are because I don't know you. But one of the things that um, might help you kind of think it through is what your why medicine is. And like, I mean, I know you said post not med school, but if once you've written a 5,300 character personal statement, and presumably for the post you also had to do some kind of essay, often your elevator pitch is the very key bits of that longer essay. Um, Scott, what do you think about this?
2: Yeah, I, I think this is a, a common uh, question or somewhat common question. It can also be phrased as, why should we let you in? Why should yeah. we let you into our program? Why should we let you? And this is a basic question. And I, I agree completely. You need to, what is it about me that should make you want to accept me? Uh, what am I going to mm-hmm. bring to the table? What, what am I, mm-hmm. How am I going to make your class? a a better class because I'm there and uh, focus on those aspects of you that will really uh, be a value to that program or to that medical school. Yep.
1: Yeah. Right. And kind of keep in mind, a lot of people think like, how can I stand out? You don't necessarily have to stand out, but many med schools. And again, you guys know, I love analogies and metaphors. Many med schools are looking for a diverse student body And I don't necessarily mean some of the buzzword diversity of demographics. I mean, studies show that that kind of diversity does make better learners of all students. But it also can be people who are athletic, people who are musical, um, people who speak multiple languages, people who are from small towns, people who are from cities. It can mean a lot of things. So think about what you bring that you know is something that can help your peers. Like, what, what are your peers gonna offer you that make you better? What are you gonna offer to your peers that makes them better? Yep. All right, let's keep trucking. Annie, let's see. Annie says, would it look bad to add comms if I attempt to apply this cycle with an under 510 MCAT score, and I don't get in. No. Would being a potential reapplicant be bad? No. Annie, who hurt you? I'm so sorry. I don't know where you've been reading this stuff or hearing this stuff, but someone is fear mongering in your presence, and you just need to go la 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 la.
2: <laughs> yep. 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 I agree. Yeah. It's being a reapplicant in and of itself does not change how the medical schools are going to look at you a lot of reapplicants get in every year uh, a, a healthy percentage of students uh, that matriculate at medical schools every year are re-applicants uh, and so uh, you know the key is that, that they're just going to want to know um how have you improved uh have uh, your application from the previous year what cha- what has changed and where you re- were you you know reflect on what you did and and uh, why you think what what the weaknesses were perhaps of your application and uh and then let that uh good uh let that uh stand for itself
1: yeah Nina Way. Nina says, "I'm a lab tech, and although I don't see patients all the time, I've helped patients over the phone, guided them to their appointment, or drew their blood. Do I need to add more to my experience?" Well, yeah, probably. But also, uh, I don't know how many times you've drawn their blood. You know, have you done that ten times, or have you been doing it a thousand times a year for ten years? <laughs> you know, like this is a um, insufficient data kind of question. Mm-hmm. Um, Some lab techs get clinical experience and some lab techs don't. Um, There's no magic number of hours because it's about quality, not quantity. The question, Nina, is if I ask you why medicine, can you answer that question drawing on patient care stories? Have you had enough meaning and impact in your clinical experience that you can really talk about a lot of patient interactions and talk about how they impacted your journey to med school. My guess is from the way you've worded this that you have not had enough, but I don't know for sure.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yep.
1: Natalie, Natalie says, I have a whole semester with Ws. Where should I explain the why? Should I talk about it in my personal statement?
2: No, 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 no. not in the personal statement. That doesn't have anything to do with why you want to go to medical school, which is the primary focus of the personal statement. Uh, You will have an opportunity probably in secondary applications. Often secondaries will have a spot for you to explain any anomalies or, uh, you know, anything that comes up. And if there's not in a particular secondary application, then you, you don't mention it. Uh, And if it comes up in an interview, then you can talk about it. But uh, um, don't uh, uh, I would say no to the personal statement and uh, look at secondaries as a as an opportunity to do that if the question uh, exists.
1: Yeah, because I know that this is going to be a follow up in a lot of people's minds. What do you think about it happening in the other impactful?
2: Say that. Say so that you know again. how
1: amcast used to have disadvantaged and now it has right other right right and
2: you could put it there yeah mm-hmm. potentially if you i mean depends yeah it kind of depends on what why you had a full semester of w's what was going on were you sick were mm-hmm. was there family issues you know work mm-hmm. or whatever so i think it, it a little bit depends
1: yeah i agree um Yeah, Natalie, I mean, you're here a lot. I know that you listen a lot, that I think you understand our philosophy. One of the biggest messages we're always trying to teach you is you don't ever want to insert your own agenda. You always have to read the prompt and make sure your essay answer is very specific to that topic. And that does mean that sometimes there are going to be things that you wish you could communicate that simply aren't questions med schools are asking. Um, The flip side of that is They can slice and dice your GPA data a million different ways. Mm -hmm. And they're very good at seeing the stories. Um, GPA is not a number. GPA is a story over time. And if you have great grades, one horrible semester, and then great grades again, they may not know exactly what the story is, but they're going to understand this is a great student who had a tough semester. They may not know the exact details, but it's more worrisome when grades go up and down, when they're down for a long time, when they're up and <clears throat> then down and they stay down. Those kinds of things also tell stories. But one semester of Whole W sounds to me like you got sick or someone in your family got sick or or, you know, something major in someone's life happened and you just It happened too late in the semester for you to withdraw without Ws. So you had to withdraw rather than getting bad grades. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't know the whole story but it's the context of the full GPA trend that I'm going to look at as an advisor and med schools also, you know, Mm -hmm. this isn't like the seventies when it was a piece of paper with one number, right? Like they have detailed software programs. They can look at the GPA in a million different ways.
2: Yeah. The other thing I would say that's somewhat relevant to this is a whole semester of W's. Are there other W's in other semesters where you withdrew from one class in a Mm -hmm. semester and that you withdrew in a different semester from another class? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think those, you know, they're going to look at it as a composite Mm -hmm. to see, is this a trend with you that Mm -hmm. you're constantly signing up for a bunch of classes and then withdrawing? Uh, you know, or was this particular semester clearly an anomaly? Yeah. And uh, and and you know, then you could explain kind of what happened in that semester that led to all that W.
1: Yeah,
2: <clears throat> all those W's.
1: Um, and Natalie, I was just looking to see if you have um a mapped account. It doesn't look like. I mean, maybe you do, and I just can't find you. But I, I'm not seeing one. But so this is a good time to remind you and everybody about mapped. And I think Carly can probably throw up a van for us. Um. So if you go to MAP.com, there's a free account that's available to all pre-meds. 95% of MAP is fully free and will always be free. That's a big part of our mission is to um, is to have pre-med tracking software that helps all pre-meds regardless of financial situations. But um, you can use the code 30 days free, that's three zero days free. And that'll get you access to the pro level for a month where you can chat with us. So what I definitely recommend is test out that pro level. See if you like it. One of the best perks is once you enter all your courses and activities, you can go get in-app advising. You're talking with me, with Scott, with Vernia Granham, with Courtney, with Ryan. It's often Verena in there. She's sort of first on chat, but we all share it. Um and you can say, hey, look at my trend. Can you help me do some analysis here? And we will gladly do that. So, and that's again, it's part of the pro level, but everybody who starts a free account gets to start at the pro level. So um, go check that out and we can dig into it a little bit more deeply with you. All right. Ashlyn. Hello, I'm a third year and my GPA isn't good. I have a lot of C's. I was wondering if I do a DIY postback, What classes should I take? Should I retake any of the C minus classes, even if they are lower divisions? I love this question, Ashlyn. Uh, Scott, you want to chime in?
2: Yeah, I would say um, <clears throat> C- definitely if you are have C's in prerequisite courses, I would definitely retake them. Uh, even- We're talking about basic um, chemistry, physics, biology—the long foundation in this for the future. uh, So I would definitely say uh, retake, advisable.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. You cut out just a tiny bit there. I think you heard that. But basically, <clears throat> C minus prereqs, you must retake, because a, a prereq for a C minus is not a fulfilling of the prereq. And then um, as much upper level biology, biochemistry as you can. You want to show in this DIY postback that you can handle rigorous upper level undergraduate sciences. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I love that you're already thinking about it in your third year. I love that you're thinking about DIY post because in my personal opinion, a lot of the formal postbacks, not all, but a lot of them are really overrated and overexpensive. You don't even necessarily have to do a post back. You could just delay graduation. Um, I don't know if that works for you or not, but you're a third year. <laughs> like just keep taking classes, work on a better BCPM. And particularly BCP, so, um, and even, even physics less so. Take a lot of biology, um, yes. you know, take genetics, take, <clears throat> take um,
2: micro, micro, yeah.
1: take mm-hmm. in, immunology if it interests mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much upper level biology out there that will be interesting, will help you enjoy med school more because you'll have had exposure, and will help prove to med schools that you are a better student than you used to be.
2: Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> Ashlyn, if you have not done this already, <clears throat> I would strongly urge you to meet with, uh, on your campus, certainly your academic advisor, but then also the learning specialists on your campus. You need to figure out why you have a lot of Cs. Yes. You know, what What is going on that you're not being successful in the classroom, and really examine that issue. I I applaud you looking forward and saying, well, I'm going to take more classes and all that. But if you don't really examine why you're making C's so that when you move forward, that trend doesn't continue, you've got to do that step first. Before you go forward. Uh, So utilize the resources on your campus. Uh, every Most every campus has uh, an office or a set of offices that work with students who are having academic uh, difficulties. And uh, I would say, you know, really use those uh, use those resources.
1: 100%. Get every penny out of your hard earned tuition dollars. Yeah. Yes. Ring it, yeah. ring it all out. Right. Absolutely.
2: Good point, <clears throat> Scott.
1: All right, let's keep going. Uh, all right. Uh, I maybe I'm sorry if I'm not getting that right. Uh, Texas resident here. How can I go about answering the unique experience prompt on TMDSAS If I have no major red flags on my application, how quote unique end quote, does this experience really have to be? Hey, lucky for you, former executive director of TMD SAS right here.
2: <laughs> so, um, what I would say to this question uh, Asilani, is that the unique experiences essay is really about you being able to say, you know, I had this experience. Don't get caught up on the, the word unique, which has, I feel like what you're getting caught on. And uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it It may not be a, a a a experience that you had that is totally unique to you and that no other applicant has ever had. That is super unlikely. Uh, but just think about something that's interesting. Maybe replace the word unique experience prompt to interesting experience prompt. and And you know, talk about in that essay, uh, something that happened to you, or something that you did, or th- th- that you experienced, that you feel like says something about who you are as an applicant. That says something about who you are uh, as a person, as a human being, uh, uh, and that uh, can, you know, can uh, be interesting to the to the reader. So don't get caught up on this were unique. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, think about what what have I experienced in my life? What was interesting? What was, you know, what says something about who I am and what I've learned and uh, what maybe helped improve uh, something about me? Or or maybe it was just an experience that, you know, maybe when you're in summer camp, you were a camp counselor for a a special needs uh, camp and uh, you want to talk about that particular experience and maybe one specific student that you are our camper that you dealt with i mean it could be a variety of different things but i think you want to uh you know just think of it in terms of what's interesting about you and that you've experienced and don't get caught up on that word unique
1: yep totally agree All right. So before we do the next question, I want to take a quick second here and remind you guys that MAPTCON 2023 is live and in person. So those of you who have been following us for years, you might have been here in the early years when it was um, National Pre-Med Day in May. Um, By your feedback, we've moved the session to October so you can kind of plan ahead a little bit more for your year rather than having it right in the thick of application season. And this year is going to be our first ever live uh, live events. So instead of one virtual day, three live days, Baltimore, Maryland. You can sign up at mappedcon.com. Um, We've made the registration as low price as we possibly can for students. Um, So exhibitors and sponsors are going to be mostly paying your way. You're going to have a chance to meet a lot of med schools. This is not just a pre-med conference. So um, there's going to be podiatry schools there. There's going to be dentistry schools there, pharmacy schools there. It's for all pre-health students. And we will have both... um, a uh, pre-health profession and also pre-college components. So even high school students and their families are welcome to attend. So go check out mapcon.com. Um, it, tickets will be open for a long time, but hotels are booking now. So especially if you're going to be traveling from afar, now's a great time to lock all that down. Yep. All right, let's keep trucking. Malay, how to do a post-bac in CA, California. I'm in San Diego and the only offerings are available online. I've been told to avoid taking courses online. So this might be a semantics thing, Malay. post-bac can mean a lot of things. And at its simplest, all it means is you have a bachelor's and you keep taking courses. So you don't have to join a formal post program. Um, a lot of people I know... In, um, in Southern California do the UCLA extension which is I think largely online but not exclusively. Um, I understand that San Diego and LA are not neighbors um, but there are good colleges in the San Diego area and it doesn't have to mean signing up for a formal master's program or post-baccalaureate program. It just means you looking at your grades and I don't know if this is a career changer for you or a grade enhancement but either finding a place that offers the prerequisite med school courses, if you're a career changer, or finding a place that offers a lot of upper level biology. And that can be any four-year university in your area.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: And yeah, online courses, um, they are more accepted now than they used to be. Um, But I think that, um, especially for science courses that have labs, you're gonna be happier doing it in person. Mm-hmm. You're also going to have a better chance of getting good letters of recommendation from professors from in-person. Um, so the stigma on online is going down. Online education is getting better and better. I'm personally a huge fan of it. But I would say for pre-med, pre um, Yeah. If, if you can find a way to do in-person, it's it's probably the better choice. Right, hello, for activities in which you've held multiple roles, i.e. club member, mentor, coordinator, president, how should we designate this in the activities section? Is it an EC or leadership? Uh, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the good answer and the hard mm-hmm. answer here, Ali, is there are no roles and activities. So you get to classify things however makes sense to you. Um, I'm sure you want more structure than that. <laughs> um, one thing I tend to recommend, um, I often say activities shouldn't be like a resume, but this is one thing that is common to resumes. Frequently in a resume, you list the highest role you had, and then in the bullet points or in the essay, you describe how you worked your way up. Mm-hmm. Um, so just personally, I think that's a simpler way, right? I would mm-hmm. put president, and people will understand you didn't start as president, right? <laughs> um, right. But right. Um, it's kind of up to you how you classify it, um, if you had really impactful leadership ex- leadership experiences in this particular club and you think your essay is going to be primarily about leadership, then it might make sense to categorize it that way. If even though you love being president, actually the stories you want to share are more from your coordinator days or your general member days. Then maybe you are going to classify it as an extracurricular club because that's more in line with your essay. Um, so there aren't right or wrong choices here, I just think you need to think carefully about what am I sharing, what had the most meaning and impact for me, and then have the classification match that.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Oh wait, <clears throat> and also all of that answer was very AMCAS-focused or COMAS-focused. If it's Texas, You only get 300 characters anyway, so you could just do one each.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could. Yes.
1: (laughs) Totally different with Texas.
2: Yeah.
1: Ethan, what determines your state of residence on the application? I may change my residency from Illinois to North Carolina for my driver's license. Will this affect my application to public Illinois and North Carolina schools? Probably. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: So you, you, uh, state of residence is uh, determined by you. You indicate in the application what your state of residence is. And uh, now what this is going to be most germane to is the medical school that is looking at your application uh, may have uh, documentation that they're going to need to determine whether or not you really are a A resident of illinois or north carolina depending on which you want to be and so uh, i would say you know uh, you might contact the medical schools that you're interested in uh, either in illinois or or north carolina state schools and uh, find out if they have a residency questionnaire of some sort that you could fill out to gauge whether or not you know what it what it is in that state that require that their requirements are for you to be considered a resident of that state, so is it just a driver's license, or are there other, you know, uh, uh, other rules that, that will dictate that? You're not going to see any of that on AMCAS, but you know, the, the individual schools will will have to uh, make a determination about your about your residency, uh, uh, and so uh, you might want to contact you know one one of the state schools in that in that state. And ask them about uh, ask them about that and what the rules are and how, how you go about determining uh, or making that uh, making that clear yep
1: yeah it's complicated because the rules do vary state yep. to state and then yep. some med schools have exceptions yep. so you just got to do your research Ethan yep. but it, it definitely can impact and um, it's not a good idea to change in the middle of the application so if you if you need to make a change I would I would make it before you apply. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, let's keep chucking. About 20 minutes, 15 at least. Yeah,
2: about 15, yeah.
1: Mindy, long one. Okay, Mindy says, I am a non-trad with an unaccredited bachelor's degree from seminary. So none of those credits will transfer. Starting undergrad from scratch, expect it'll take nutritional amount of time to get through undergrad on a pre-MAC talk. How do I approach clinical and extracurricular? Okay, so yeah uh I appreciate the context um yes so you also say I'm an entrepreneur with a lot of speaking teaching and coaching experience not sure if any of that helps as a pre-med when I apply to medical schools yes it does so one of the big perks of being a non-traditional is you're bringing a lot more life experience to your application whoa I'm so short and Mindy's comment is so tall try to sit really tall here um uh What you want to think about, Mindy, is ideally for a career changer, I think one of the best things you can do as soon as you know you've got school in hand and can handle those science courses is to start doing clinical and shadowing right away or even maybe consider doing a little bit of um, patient care experience in clinical before you start school to make sure this is the career change for you Um, because what you wouldn't want to do is suffer through many semesters of chemistry and biology and physics only to find out that when you interact with patients all day, Mm -hmm. you won't have it, right? So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be paid clinical experience. It can be volunteer, but all pre-meds, whether traditional or non-traditional are going to be expected to get some clinical observation by which I mean shadow physicians and also get some clinical experience by which I mean direct patient care. Um, And that's something that should be slow and steady throughout the pre-med path. It's not something where you can do one summer, 200 hours, and then check it off, right? Particularly with the clinical experience with the direct patient care. If you become a physician, that's going to be your whole life. So if you start it and then stop it and don't resume it, it sends the message that you're not interested. So now when you say, how do I approach? Just slow and steady. Right, I mean, that's the, that's the toughest thing of this is that you're taking really, really rigorous classes. You're a non-trad, so you might have other obligations, people who count on you. Um, this is gonna take a lot of planning and support, right? You have to really think about what sacrifices you're prepared to make and figure out how you're gonna carve these things out in your life. Um, but it's totally possible. People do it every year.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Uh, oh, our friend Anna, uh, what are some of the best ways to communicate about leadership with jobs and clubs without sounding overinflated? I would like to demonstrate and be authentic. I don't think I changed the world. What do you think, Scott?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a very good uh, question. It's a very good point, I think, to make. And, 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 the key is exactly what you said, Anna, Katharina, in, in your, in your question, you want to be authentic and so be authentic. Say I did, you know, I was the team leader of a team of people that did X, Y, and Z. And uh, we worked together and we, you know, accomplished, made a product or we did this or wh- whatever it is about. And, and don't overinflate. Don't don't, you know, say, uh, you know, I did great things or I was able to. You know, you just want to be honest. You want to be authentic uh, in, in that. You'd be surprised sometimes when we see applications and we see uh, an activity description and it appears that, uh, you know, the, the language that the person is using. So, for example, if it's a research experience and they talk throughout their activity description about my research and my lab and stuff like that, when you're one of twenty people in the lab and you're doing one little part of the project, but you make it sound like it's you know your research okay. uh, so I, I think you have to be careful about the way that you express what you're expressing and make sure that you're doing it in a way that is uh, authentic but also doesn't uh, give rise to uh you know making it sound like uh, you were changing the world. Yeah. So just be authentic. Just be realistic about what you're saying and uh, and you should be fine.
1: Yeah, I agree. And if you're looking for some kind of like logistical tips, I would say if you're using nouns and verbs more than adjectives, and if you're using numbers and facts more than descriptions, you're on a good track. Um, we do like stories and activities. Um, sometimes there's not enough space to do a story. So sometimes it's an anecdote or an example. But if you say things like, I was a really important leader in my club. Yeah, that sounds like bragging. If you say from sophomore year on, I was on the e-board, then I know that you were a leader mm-hmm. and you don't, to, you don't have to show off, right? You just, you're just telling me the facts. Yep. So I think your attitude is already in the right place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fran says, is working at an extend care, extended care count as clinical or volunteer hours? I will, okay, yes, i <laughs> sorry, I was a little confused by your question, I had to stop and read it before I could read it all out. Okay, so is working at extended care count as clinical or volunteer, um, I'm not sure what you mean by I will be in charge of activities, I'm going to skip that, and how many hours should I aim for? I've heard 100 to 200 hours. Um, I mean, I would say you need at least 100 to 200 hours of clinical. There are going to be people who apply who have thousands. Now, a lot of those people are non-traditionals who have been working in healthcare for a long time. Um, that's not going to be necessary for every student. Um, there is no magic number, but, Fran, you need enough clinical care that you feel like it's had meaning and impact and that you have several strong patient stories to draw on for your essays and interviews. Um In terms of clinical volunteer, I want you to back away from thinking about it in those terms. Clinical can be paid or unpaid. It can be a job or volunteer. So it doesn't matter to most med schools whether your clinical care is paid or unpaid. However, many med schools also expect to see community service. And that community service may or may not be clinical. But Sometimes people hear volunteer and they think, well, as long as i wasn 't paid it 's volunteer, but if you did unpaid work um, in your parents' store that 's not really a volunteer job right that 's just helping out your family. Mm-hmm. If you did unpaid work at a really posh clinic in a in a you know expensive zip code of a city, yeah you 're not getting paid, but you 're not helping an underserved population so it 's two separate things: you need direct patient care experience, paid or unpaid. And then more and more, many med schools, particularly osteopathic schools, but not just osteopathic, want to see that some of your time was spent helping some part of your local area that does not have the same privileges you have.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Hope that helps clarify. Okay. I'll switch us back to horizontal. Uh, yeah, we still have time for at least one or two more. You picking out, Carly? All right. Austin says, can you take general eds and random courses online at the community college? Does it matter? To my understanding, the prereqs are the most important classes to take in person at actual colleges. Um, (laughs) Yeah, what do you think, Scott?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I think online is still, I mean, while it's more acceptable now than it has been previously, I still think it's problematic Uh, I think that, uh, you know, you, you have to think about what you can do and what's possible for you. There are some people who have to do online classes because they live out in the middle of nowhere and there's nowhere else to take classes. Mm Uh, so they have to do online. Uh, I do think that, um, I, I, I kind of chuckled when you said, uh, take classes in person and at actual colleges a community college is an actual college uh (laughs) it is it is uh uh accredited uh they are um uh you know but they typically not always but typically don't offer upper level uh uh courses some do because of uh uh, connections that they have with local universities, and there are some community colleges which are broadening out on their own, <clears throat> even to offer bachelor's degrees. But generally speaking, community college only uh, only has lower level classes, so you can't do too much of that at community college. If you're doing it for the reasons of uh, cost differential uh, or closer to home or whatever, uh, then then go ahead and do that. Um, and especially for Gen ed and, and, and random courses, uh, I, I would not do it for a prerequisite courses in, in terms of online stuff. And uh, if you're if you are a student at a university and you want to take some Gen ed classes or random elective classes, at a community college and that's acceptable to your institution, then that's totally acceptable. The med schools aren't gonna really care about that. What they're gonna be looking at mostly are the science classes, in particular, the prerequisite courses and uh, where those were taken and the grades that you made in those.
1: Yep. Yep, agree. I guess I'll just remind you too, Austin, that keep in mind that a lot of general education courses actually are going to have a huge impact on your future. I mean, you didn't say this, so I am kind of making a leap here. But a lot of students sort of think, oh, it's a humanities, it's a blow off course. The better you are at critically reading and problem solving, the better you're going to do on the MCAT. And the easier it's going to be throughout your life as you continue to do research and read patient charts. So don't let your science and math skills totally eclipse your critical reading skills. you know, you should be making humanities courses, not the easy course. That should be where you learn to stretch your brain's ability to critically read and analyze. Yeah,
2: so just, absolutely. And
1: I, and I don't think that means community college is bad because you can get amazing experiences in community college English classes where it's only 30 people and you can actually have a small conversation. It can be a great thing. I'm just saying make sure you're um, not blowing those off.
2: Yeah. Yes. Coming from, I I, I think uh, I, I was a humanities major. I was a history major in college. And uh, I, I attribute a lot of my success over the years, not all of it, but some of it to the fact that my undergraduate experiences in the humanities taught me three things. They, and, and these are crucial uh, to being not only a well-balanced, uh, human being and s- social human being, but also to being successful in my work experiences and, in 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 other things. And that is the three things that I learned as a humanities major were how to read, how to write and how to think, 100%. how to read, write and think. Yep. And so think about those three things when you're taking those gen ed classes, especially, uh, Uh, humanities and social sciences uh, think about those three things what am I learning in this experience about how to read and get and comprehend what I'm reading Mm
1: -hmm.
2: how to write in a in a in a way that communicates my thoughts and then how to think uh, uh, critically and, uh, and that, and, and reason things out. And if you'll do those three things, you'll, you'll, you'll get something really good out of the
1: class. A hundred percent. And I always say the same thing. I was also a humanities major and it taught me to read, write, and think. Yep. And I've been using reading, writing, and thinking for my entire career. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And yep. it, that, That doesn't go away just because you're going to be applying to a medical graduate program where the first two years are very science heavy, right? Obviously the Mm -hmm. sciences matter. We're not saying that we're saying they all matter. Yep. Um, And yeah. And Austin, again, you didn't necessarily indicate, you didn't think that we just took the moment because it's a passionate thing for Scott and I. (laughs) All right. If there's a shortish one, we could probably do one more before we jet. Yeah. Yeah. Monica says, what about taking post classes at a community college? Well, we kind of just talked about this. She says, I have a 3.5 and 3.4 science GPA. I can retake some classes at a community college as much cheaper than my public four year. So this is interesting because this is a slightly different question. Mm-hmm. Monica, I would caution you against retaking courses that you took at a four year at a community college. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate. But sometimes that looks like, even though we've just said the stigma for community college should be going away, there is still some. And if you do it at a four-year first, and then you go to community college, it could look like trying to find an easier course. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm not saying it's just, but that's very different than I did it at a community college in the first place, which people typically indicate as like a location or a a money thing. But when you're retaking, once you've done science at a four-year you really got to stay at a four year. I mean, you don't yeah. have to, it's your
2: choice. And, and 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 I will emphasize Monica that when you say you're going to take post-bac classes and that you're doing it because your GPA you interpret your GPA to be lower than what you want it to be or that what what you think might might not be successful in the process keep in mind that the purpose of taking post-bac classes is to bolster your academic standing before the admissions committee. Mm-hmm. And you're not gonna do that by having taken a bunch of classes at a three, four level for the sciences uh, at your university and then shifting to a community college to take post classes. Uh, I, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it, it, it will, it will uh, give rise to a lot of questions. So I would recommend no.
1: Yep. All right. So uh, before we go, I just want to remind you guys about MapCon. I had said before that now's a good time to sign up, but I didn't um, I didn't explicitly say that we are doing an early bid Bird discount. So if you want a college ticket, you can use code EARLYBIRD to save $25 so you can get a space. It's a three-day conference, $75. I mean, it's such a, an amazing per hourly rate. The other benefit of signing up now is the first 700 registrants get access to a special networking lunch on Saturday. Um, we're expecting um, at least 1000 people. So a lot of you are going to be able to attend the networking, but Um, We are filling. We're adding people every day. So the early bird is definitely going to get not just the worm, but the networking lunch. Um, And then if any of you who are watching are high school students or high school student parents, or if you have um, some friends, the high school ticket is just for Sunday, and that's even lower cost. It's $25 normally, but on sale currently for $18.75 with the same code early bird. So sign up for MapCon, friends. We want to meet you in person. Come see us. Come hang out. all right well that's going to take us to the end of today uh it was so great to have you all join um it's this is always the favorite part of the week for me yep um so yeah just an absolute joy to hang out with you guys and uh we'll see you again in a week
2: bye bye
0: this is dr gray again closing out i hope you learned something from our session today if you haven't yet checked out mapped i invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.